0: Welcome to the Sport Mind podcast series, where I sit down with world leading guests and unlock the secrets to mental strength in sports. Today, before you dive into the episode, I have something special for all listeners. Are you struggling with self doubt, overwhelmed by performance anxiety, battling inconsistency, or facing fear of failure in your sport? Are you looking to overcome these obstacles and conquer the mental game? Well, I've got just the toolkit for you. An ebook I wrote called Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport which you can get today completely free of charge. This comprehensive ebook is a treasure trove of practical and actionable strategies tailored for athletes who want to unblock the most common mental obstacles. Each chapter offers digestible advice, providing immediate tools you can apply to enhance your mental game. Readers have been raving about the insights and the transformations they've experienced with this guide. Teresa from California emailed recently saying, your guide is brilliantly helpful. I've just been getting into it and I'm truly excited to use it to help with the obstacles I face regularly. I wrote this ebook to be concise, punchy, and most importantly, practical for immediate application. And the best part, it's completely free. A token of your commitment to your mental and athletic growth. So click on the link in the show notes right now to grab your copy of Overcoming the Top 10 Mental Obstacles in Sport or simply visit the SportMind Hub by Googling SportMind Hub. Equip yourself today with the knowledge and tools to face those mental challenges head-on. Now, let's jump into today's episode and get ready to elevate your mental game to the next level. Hey Squash community, hope you're well and I hope you're looking forward to this next installment of the Squash Mind podcast series. So I'm very delighted to welcome back to the show Alistair McCall. It's a second outing on the show and like I said in the first time we chatted, there was still so much I wanted to go deep with him and figure out and understand and have a good chat with him about. And it was about six months ago. We had our first chat, so a bit of a six-month gap, and then here we are again. Again, he just came across so well. He's just you know absolutely brilliant at what he does. Uh, got a lot of time, a lot of respect for him, and he just puts things across in such a simple way he 's a ridiculously busy man at the moment, so for me to be able to reach out to him and to say yes" or him to say yes is just a real privilege. We start off the chat talking about athlete mental health a huge topic and something that I think we all need to talk a lot, talk about a little bit more and get to understand and not make it taboo, make it very open, make it very honest because it's it's a huge problem we have, I think, and you know i didn't actually suffer massively through it myself. But Alistair really opens up about some of his mental health battles and how he was able to overcome them. So I think for young athletes, for athletes in the middle of their career, athletes are about to retire, as well as in particular parents, I think the first part of this chat is going to be really, really interesting. We go into discussion around flow environment versus high challenge environment and where athletes should try and sit in order to get into this flow state or perform in it Again, I, I, I'm quite honest and open and, and I talk about some of the environments I'm trying to create with my players. Alistair really goes big into the flow state and how to try and achieve this and how to try and get in there. We also have a bit of discussions around some of the tools with athletes who are really talented and things that come easy and almost not willing to put the work in and, and then how, how he's able to speak to his athletes and how he's able to try and help them out in this regard. We also have a bit of a chat on the concept of overthinking, which again, uh, I'm very guilty of this uh, when I play and when I was playing in particular of overthinking, overanalyzing, trying to go too much detail. We then bring it to a close a little bit in regards to some of their players' questions and really kind for some of the players I work with to reach out. Well, I reached out to him and they gave some questions back. Um, And again, hearing from the players themselves about the things they're struggling with is really key. Talking about the optimal state of performance and the mental warm-up. Talking about consistency and maintaining habits and discipline. And also talking about managing work-life stress or school stress in regard to mindfulness. Alistair recently recorded a series on mental toughness on his platform, the Champion Minded Podcast, which I'm going to be diving into really soon and talking about, and it's a real, real gem how he closes off this podcast. He gave me goosebumps. It was brilliant what he said around the top tip on non-negotiable for improving athletes' mental toughness. So I'm not going to ruin it because I'd like you to listen to it and I'd like you to try and absorb what it was, and without further ado, please welcome Alistair McCall. Alistair McCall, welcome back to your second installment of the Squash Mind podcast. It was really chuffed to have you on board. Um, I know you're a busy man. I, I've seen that you're flying around the world a little bit more now. It sounds like you're doing a lot of Zoom stuff. So what
1: have you been up to in the last six months or so since we last chatted? Gee was well, first of all, has it been six months? And uh, and second of all, I feel pretty honored that I'm invited back a second time. So thanks so much, Jesse. Yeah. Um. Yeah, well, obviously the last few months has been pretty promising with the direction we're going with COVID. Um, I know there's still one or two countries that are, well, one or two, quite a few countries that are still struggling with it, especially our homeland as well, South Africa. I think they're going back into a lockdown. I'm not too sure. I spoke to my mom last week there, but um, for the rest of the world, it looks more promising. We, we, we see light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, the kids are back at school, or, and 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 you know, businesses are starting to open up again, and so on and so forth. So yeah, a lot of a lot of promising things ahead. A lot of a lot of positive things.
0: Yeah, and and what have you been up to yourself? Then have you been able to travel, get overseas a little bit? I, I see you
1: very Not much. Mode. Not much. In fact, I was I was at the airport two or three weeks ago to head out to Belgium and then to France and. I didn't get any further than the check-in desk because Belgium had just cha- changed their restrictions again,
2: nice. and
1: I didn't have the necessary papers, so that trip was cancelled. Um, previous time before that, I, I was in Dubai in January. That was the only <laughs> the only overseas trip I've, I've done, in, and I think I was in Belgium as well in in, in January. Um, otherwise in between there, it's just been all domestic within the United States being to, to, you know, some of my colleges or or the colleges I consult with here in Louisiana and in California. So yeah, not much overseas stuff.
0: Interesting. Oh, wow, man. So yeah, you've been uh, hit hard in that sense. eh? And yeah, listen, six months has gone pretty quick, hasn't it? Considering, yeah, Uh, I can't believe it yeah know it 's nuts isn 't it like January we, we, we had a good chat, and yeah honestly your, the, the chat we first had it 's quite a big case study now for a lot of the athletes I work with, especially the junior athletes, so they're, they're tasked with uh, going through that podcast, whether it be by um, by me forcing them or then wanting to do it i 'm not quite sure yet, and they have to come back and give their key bullet points. So I thought, hey, listen, why, why not have another little chat about this because I think the first topic I want to dive into might be quite close to your heart, this one, so it 's going to be pretty pretty big one to dive into athletes mental health um you've put out some amazing tweets lately um from some athletes mental health and it's been really cool to see so a double-sided question here firstly what were the reasons behind the tweets you put out and why do you feel so passionate about this subject
1: you know this is not just because of um what's happened for example in in you know paris with with naomi Osaka or, or any of that this has been going on for ages i mean you know, I've been, I've been working with athletes and I was one myself who dealt with mental health. It's just become more out there now, but it's always been Jesse, you know, you, you you had a, a great career as well. And, you know, you probably went through things that you didn't even realize you were going through mental health issues, but you were going through cases of depression or cases of, of whatever, because being away from home and there's so many imbalances being an athlete, um, you know, because where there's priorities, there's going to be imbalances, but you know, it's, I wouldn't say I've increased the volume with, with regards to mental health. It's always been there. I suffered from depression back in the early 2000s. Um, mm-hmm. oh, I, I again suffered it once I finished my career. It was such a such a massive change in my lifestyle. It left a void. I didn't have a purpose after I stopped my, my athletic career. So all these things played in a factor. And that's something you know I really encourage all athletes is, if you're lucky enough to, to be playing on the pro tour or, or, or be playing on the tour, make sure you're setting up that second, that second half of your, uh, you know, your career and, and, and start, you know, putting that, laying the foundations to what you're going to do after the career. Don't just wait until it finishes, for example. But, you know, it's always been something that's, that I've been very conscious about. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, once I went into consulting athletes, a lot of them are do deal with men- mental health uh, issues it can come in various forms um so yeah it's always been something i've, I've been close to jesse
0: mm. no totally and, and listen like someone like you using the platforms to speak about it is, is 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 fantastic and looking at it from a distance over here it's great and you know the, the conversations seem a lot more open now uh, there's there's very feels like there's less taboo around the subject now it feels like you know athletes are willing to open themselves up a bit but it, it kind of leads me almost very nicely into my, my next part of this question around it which is is there advice for athletes' mental health at different developmental stages? So I'll give you a few examples. The 13 to 16-year-old, that's, you know, hormones and, and teens. That's, that's, that's one uh, category I'd like to talk about. Then possibly the 25-year-old athlete. And then maybe the 35-year-old athlete ready to retire. So I'm kind of thinking three different containers here. What comes to mind when, when, when I ask you about that developmental stages for athletes' mental health?
1: yeah mental health can happen at any stage, you know, especially with young kids, for example, even under the age of ten who are maybe bullied at school or you know they're they're um they have maybe mental challenges or so on you know or, you know, there's mental health is it can happen at any age in terms of yeah you know, or mental uh, mental illnesses can happen at any age so i'd say the young with the younger generation as you mentioned there it's it's different uh pressures, different stresses different aspects to, to say what a 25 year old or a 35 year old does. So, you know, you obviously mature as you get a little bit older and you start to understand things a little bit better, but I'd say as a, as, as a child, it's about finding your identity. Again, it's about things of, of your upbringing or have you been bullied? Um, you know, kids can be very, very cruel, you know, with teasing other kids at school and about certain features of themselves and, and whatever. So um, what, what's great as well as I know that schools are not educating kids on, On mental illness and mental health and so on and so forth with regards uh you know how you are with with your fellow pupils for example you know we know that words you know there's that saying that sticks and stones can break my bones but words will never harm me which is so far from the truth you know somebody can say something to you you know i was teased about my my teeth when i was younger and it actually impeded me from smiling a lot i was always very serious because wow. I, I didn't want to open my mouth. So people would always say, say to you, why are you always so serious? Why do you never smile? Yeah. And it was because I had a, you know, a, 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 you know a, um, an issue with, 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 with my teeth, because I would be teased about it. So, you know, there's always a reason behind certain things. So, you know, before you want to tease somebody else or say something, maybe just think twice before, before you say it, because those can have long lasting effects. So that can be at a young age, that can be the mental illness there with regards identity. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on into the 20s, you know, each, each decade brings its different um, challenges to us. You know, we, you know, what we want when we were 40 is completely different to what we wanted when we were 25, for example. So, you know, 20s, I was having this discussion as well with someone this week, I can't remember who it was, but, you know, 20s, you're trying to prove yourself. Yeah. And then the older you get, you, you, it's not about proving yourself, it's about improving yourself. And that's the journey I've been on for the last thank thank goodness the last ten years whatever you know since I've been in my thirties I'm now in my forties well into my forties um, is about improving myself and not really having uh the, you know the 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 weight on my back of trying to prove myself anymore because you know uh, you, you know the first thing in mental health is is accepting yourself yeah totally. of of, you know, if, if you were to ask me, where's the starting point, if you're going through something, well, it's recognizing where you are, it's admitting where you are, and meeting yourself at that spot, at that place. And then, you know, getting help, of course, is one of the big areas in, in mental health is you can't do it alone. Mm. You just can't do it alone. With anything you're, you're struggling with, you need other people to to help you. So yeah, to answer your question, there's different um, different challenges and, and, and things uh, throughout the decades, so to say, you know, 30s, you know, obviously, you're starting to think of security with, with with your finances, and and maybe you're starting a family or whatever. So, yeah, it's it's um it's always changing.
0: It is, and Liz, I think the way you, you you spoke then, and and the word when my ears prick up, awareness. It's such a huge word. It's it's something I'm I'm continually doing in my coaching, and um to to get the athletes self aware of themselves. I'm talking maybe more just on the Court at the moment, how they want to play, but actually, I think that transcends into all parts of life. If you can heighten that awareness and 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 become you know more aware of yourself, I think it, it, it's. But it's so hard to try convince a twenty year old of that, isn't it? So look, we can sit here and you know you've had an amazing career, and I can look back and go, I've love my career. We're comfortable with where we're at. But the conversations with that 20 year old or if I had the conversation with my 21 year old self, I don't know if my 21 year old self would be ready to hear it. So how do you think you, you go around that? Obviously, yes, we got to keep talking about it. But, but but when the athlete is trying to prove themselves, what do you think
1: you might put in place to help that? I just think, you know, sometimes you get this question on podcasts. and I'm sure you've had it before is if you could go back to your 18 year old self, what would you change? Mm-hmm. And the obvious answer is nothing because all the failures and difficulties have made me who I am today. But I think if there was one thing I would change as a 20, 21 year old, it would be, or even earlier, is the ability to listen better to those who've come before me. So when that old guy... And when you're 18, a a guy who's 39, 40 years old
2: um,
1: comes to speak to you at your at your club or your school and you're sitting there going, oh, you know, here we go again. It's like listening to my father. This um, is is maybe to to listen to advice of those who've come before me um, because it would have saved me a lot of time. So, you know, we're living in a generation right now where when we were not that not that you're very old, I think I'm a good 10 years older than you, but. Uh, we didn't have this platform to sit and listen to, to yeah. mentors and so on. And sit, and, you know, so anyone who's watching this right now, especially if you're in your teens or early 20s, you're very, very fortunate. You understand that you're in a generation that you're getting mentored more than any generation before. So I don't have to come to your facility or your school or whatever, um, to speak to you, you just click a button, or there's a podcast as easy as that that you can learn from somebody so it would be to listen more and to not have that judgmental um mindset of you know what's this person going to teach me here we go again this old guy is going to you know lecture me about something and i could have learned a lot quicker uh, with some things that i made a lot of mistakes on
0: listen really sound advice there and last thing i want to talk about mental health and and again i if you're willing to share completely fine if not you said you struggled with it at a certain point in your 20s what what toolkit did you try use or how did you get over it It, like i'm thinking if anyone else is listening out there going yeah listen i resonate with a few things here on the outside i might be looking very successful um my results are speaking for themselves but actually inside it's 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 just turmoil could you share what happened in your journey in that regard
1: yeah, sure. I think it was a combination of things. I think it was um, financially as well. You know, you guys know in in squash as well. I was in triathlon, duathlon. There's no money um, in the sport. You know, you travel. You spend more money traveling. And 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 you know, I always compare it that when you're on the tour, you're basically on holiday every week. Not that you're on holiday, but your finances are like you're on holiday every week, and yeah. you're not bringing anything in. Right. You know, you're paying for hotels or flights or Ubers food it's like you're on vacation every week even though you're mm. you're training working playing etc so you know for me a, a big aspect was the financial side um uh relationships i was away from home missing family uh, all these things accumulated to to me being in a more depressed state for example so i can remember one specific call one specific day i was i was in london um struggling the weather uh I didn't have work at that time as well rent as you know is just massive there so every month I was just getting hit hit hard Mm. and um I was I'd lost a lot of weight I just didn't even have energy to really get up in the morning anymore this just wasn't me I'd gone from this you know a guy who's competed in five world championships in, in in my sport and two-time national champion to being someone that can't even get off the couch or get out of bed. I'd lost, like I said, I'd lost a lot of weight. I was looking really thin and I was on the phone to my mom who was back in South Africa at the time. And she knew I was going through these struggles. And um, so first step is, is seek help. You have to seek help. If if you have family, then fantastic, you know, go there. First of all, don't be too proud of yourself. Don't be proud of yourself Mm -hmm. or or, or having too much pride. Um, And my mom said, Two simple instructions. She said, Alistair, get up in the morning, brush your hair, That was the f- and put on some nice clothes. Number one. Nice. Okay? Because when you're feeling in a very, very depressed or, or um, low state, you don't look good. You don't feel good. You don't really make an effort. You couldn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first thing. Even though if I wasn't going out that day, she said, brush your hair and, and put on some nice clothes. Number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, go out and do at least one thing for somebody else today. So it could be helping somebody cross a, a little old lady cross the road. It could be helping somebody carry boxes into their apartment. Just go and do something for somebody else today. Could be handing out leaflets at the local church. You know, whatever it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I started doing that, and that was my first steps to to recovery. So what what's the lesson that we have here is um, you have to, you know, I have this I have this saying. Uh, get up, show up, but never give up. Nice. So basically, I was getting up and I was showing up, first mm-hmm. of all. Nothing mm-hmm. major. Putting, putting on some nice clothes, brushing my hair and going to go help somebody. And that was the start of my recovery through depression. There's, the two most important decisions you can make in life are the people you surround yourself with and the environment that you're in. So something had to change of my state. I needed more people around me. So I needed to let go of ego and pride and say, I need help uh, because probably to people on the outside, I would have been the last person that think was going through something right. like this. Everything looked perfect on the outside. And the second one was I had to change my environment and I, I moved back to South Africa for, for some time just to reset myself, get mm-hmm. some sunshine, uh, be around people that I was familiar with. And that was my, my, my journey back. So People and environment, those those are the things that if you really have good people, great, use them.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: it, maybe you're not in the right environment. Maybe you need to change your environment.
0: Alistair, listen, that, that's such wonderful sound advice. And, and thank you for sharing that. I know sometimes revisiting those things can't be that easy, but actually the platform you use to talk about the stuff's great. And you know, I'm just looking at your books in the background. I know you're writing your fifth one at the moment. Was that part of like a therapeutic process to go through that writing and, and actually give that advice and actually look externally can you talk about that for a sec
1: yeah sure I mean obviously it was it was it was a goal of mine to write eight book I didn't think I'd be going on to onto five books especially the amount of stress that it brings as well so it was therapeutic on one side but it was also very stressful on the other and and nothing's changed I mean five books down it's still very much the same stress if you like but I've stopped I've learned a few things about about deadlines and so on because okay. you know there's things you can't control COVID was one of those yeah. Um, but definitely I use that time to, to good use that I had a lot of time to write another book. Mm. If I was on the road traveling, like, like before, I probably wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't be halfway through it by now, but I am finished it. So it's going through edits and so on. So, um, you know, put that to, to good use yet, yeah. but yes, I, w- I would say that it's been therapeutic. The books that I've written have also been a little bit of like my journey mm-hmm. from coaching to working with teams. Um, to working with athletes, champion-minded, of course, and now uh, winning attitude and mindset uh, as well. So, yeah, it's all very much interlinked. Mm, lovely.
0: And, and correct me if I'm wrong, your fifth book, it's it's about leadership. Yes, it's about the, in that territory.
1: Yeah, correct. It's it's about leadership. It's about making an impact and, and having a purpose mm-hmm. in your leadership. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be a coach, a teacher, a manager, um, whatever it is. It's about um Using the opportunity to make an impact with the position you 're in mm. no, I love that I think and and again, it just rings
0: a little bell there when you said one of the things was also to go help other people I, I really like the way you said that and and and, and a lot of the times when, when when things feel very heavy for you and difficult and hard to give you perspective it 's going well yeah let 's flip that mirror let 's go help someone else and i 've I've, I've heard that before about this this kindness i 'm very big on kindness and gratitude and how we can grow those things within ourselves and how that actually helps us you know, perform under pressure a little bit, arguably, or see the bigger picture. So yeah, it's really interesting. You mentioned that, that whole concept of go do something for someone else and and maybe your book is linked there a little bit as well. So um, listen, thanks for that. Let's, we'll put a little, little ring fence around the mental health. I know it's, it's a big old subject, but I thought it would be remiss for me not to speak about it. Um, So we're going to, we're going to pivot a little bit here. Personally, I've been really looking into the concept of flow environment versus high challenge environment. I'd like to discuss this with you and what are your thoughts on this in regard to, in regard to maybe learning, in regard to confidence, in regard to athletes performing at their best. So just to maybe define it a bit more flow on the one side is, is obviously that state and you're probably completely aware of it where it's, it's very little thinking where we're flow, we're just we're really feeling everything's great. Obviously the high challenges is the, the continual little failures in that environment, really testing and really pushing you. So if we look at those two ends of a continuum where where are you at with your athletes do you do you try to get them into different areas do you speak to them about embracing different areas i'll keep it very open in that regard what what comes to mind
1: i would say and it's coincidental that we're talking about this now because just this morning i recorded the third episode in mental toughness series on mindfulness okay and so you know we're very much going there in terms of of the flow state or you call it or being in the zone or whatever has a lot to do with mindfulness so what are the advantages of, you know, so mindfulness is almost like a buzzword here. We we hear about being mindful, mindfulness. But when you ask somebody what mindfulness is, you get a lot of different answers. Oh, it's meditation. Oh, it's yoga. Um, no. Mindfulness, basically, the description of mindfulness in the dictionary is being present. It's being in the moment. And the more you practice of being in the moment or present, right, the more focused you're going to be the more you're going to be able to be in that zone so to say or in the flow state so to say so how do you become more in that flow state or zone which is every athlete's goal is you know where it's just subconscious everything's just happening for you it's just you know it doesn't happen a lot in an athlete's career where where they have just those perfect they just they will describe it like they were just in another like realm they were just in their out-of-body experience in other words like it just happened they can't really explain it like that perfect match or whatever. Like it just happened. Like everything was just working. I was mm-hmm. thinking clearly. I was, everything was the ball was this big. Everything was just happening. So to, 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 ha- to increase the chance of having more of those types of performances, if you're an athlete, for example, a squash player or whatever, it's about um, including some mindfulness each day into your training regime. So it could be meditation. It could be, um, you know it could be anything that that where you're just being present mm-hmm. just be in the moment even when you're speaking to somebody how present are you how in the moment are you are you checking your phone and you're or you're looking around the room to see what else is going on or you're just distracted the whole time so it's the elimination of distraction mm-hmm. and it's the um amplifying of of mindfulness of being in the moment and you know for an athlete it's every athlete desires to be in that, in that frame of mind when they walk onto a court or on a track or in the pool or whatever it may be.
0: Hmm. No, totally. Listen, you're speaking my language. There a lot of, a lot of what squash mind tries to bring is is daily mindfulness. And there's little daily challenges for mindfulness. And I think if, if we, if we exercise those parts of our brain, they get stronger, don't they? The neural pathways fire more, they, they, they thicken, they get stronger. And you know what? It becomes easier for that to spill over into performance. Where I want to investigate with you is I suppose, If you've got an athlete, are you asking for them to be in the flow environment in the lead up to tournaments and when they're trying to train and when they're trying to get into what I'm trying to think about is the challenge environment, which is a a reach and fail environment. So they're slightly reaching, but they're failing, they're reaching, they're failing. There's argument to say that 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 encourages neuroplasticity and encourages problem solving and encourages getting athletes to think on their feet. In the flow state, it's all about expressing what you currently already know. So that's where I just, I, I'm, I'm not struggling, but I'm just playing around with the continuum of going, do we take the athletes more into that challenge environment to actually expose them to small failures? Or do we encourage them more to be in the flow state to encourage the confidence and express where they currently are? So what do you think when I ask that question?
1: Yeah, well, I'm definitely the the, the least scientific guy in, in, in the industry. Um, you know, I always just try and keep things simple. If you ever read my books, they're the most simple books to read. So I think that's maybe why they, well, they do well because people want simple messages I, I think sometimes when it comes to the subject jesse we we, we make it too complicated too complex and big words and scientificness and, and that that's one of the reasons why i wrote champion minded was i want when i was an athlete i couldn't find a book that was just simple with explaining these things these these questions you're asking me right now like like how do you get in the flow state how do you get in the zone how do you deal with with pressure. I just wanted simple, simple answers. Like I, I don't care what the left side of the brain is thinking. I want to just know what I have to do on the court when this happens. Mm-hmm. So I, I just try and keep it as simple as possible. I'm probably one of the last guys to talk to as regards science, scientific stuff and so on. But yes, the, the mind, the mind is a skill. Mindfulness is a skill Flow getting more into a flow state or zone state. If you want is a skill, the mm-hmm. more you train it, the better you're going to become to it. And it's, Very, very few athletes are able to achieve this because it's tedious. It's boring. It's, Oh, you know what? Sit and do yoga or meditate for 20 minutes. They can't even hold that focus. I mean, I mean me as well. Try, try, if you haven't meditated, try meditate for five minutes and see how, how your mind just keeps racing to noise and what you still need to do later on today. And that conversation you had two hours ago, your mind is just racing the whole time. And so, meditation and these things if that's what you're going to do for your for your to get into the zone takes a lot of time but people quit pretty early because it's difficult and it's boring and it's you know what is this doing you know is this really doing anything Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean it's um it's something again that has has to be trained and 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 let's not over complicate things as well of how we see it yes of course of course coaches should be continually challenging their athletes i think what's very important is 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 what athletes can or what coaches can do a better job of is especially working with younger athletes is teaching them the proper relationship with failure mm-hmm. uh, describing and, and explaining the journey of what failure does is that failure is not bad failure is not uh something that you take personally that you are a failure mm-hmm. you simply you simply just failed at something but that doesn't that's not attached to your identity that you're a failure so I think it's very important that we we you know I've seen that the best athletes and successful people I've worked with have a different relationship with failure to other people. They they don't want to fail, but they go okay. What's this teaching me? What what, what can I learn from this? What can I move on from this? It's one of the first questions I ask every athlete or player after a match, win or lose. What did you learn? Mm. Um, you know, I was mentoring a, a young um, Indian athlete last last evening. And I asked her that exact same I asked her that exact same question all the time. What did you learn from, from the match this weekend? Win or lose? Or what did you learn from today's practice? Because if you aren't learning if you if you're not coming off the court or getting out of the pool or whatever it may be, and you haven't learned something, then what was the point of going to that practice or playing playing that match?
2: Mm,
1: totally. I think that, that links into
0: into the awareness that we spoke about earlier, doesn't it? If you if you can heighten the athlete's awareness that they're on the lookout for the learning here I, I love the way you frame it up about your relationship with failure i've, I've not i've not heard someone put it across in, in that way so well and that's brilliant i'm gonna i'm gonna probably steal that and use that if i'm honest that's a great one and and yeah, if you can if you can really get that relationship with failure right again none of us go and seek failure do we but if we can accept it um be 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 you know we're there we've accepted it but what actions do we take based on that failure i think that's that's the key isn't it to to put in the interventions the actions on that
1: yeah i mean i'm not punting this three-part series podcast i've done on mental toughness series Uh, we, we released what is mental toughness this week and it's free it's on my podcast but um we were just talking about exactly that like the difference between adversity and a challenge
2: mm-hmm.
1: are they the same things, and they're not. Because when you set a challenge to yourself, you should expect adversity. Otherwise, it's not a a, a a great enough challenge. You know, if if I'm if I if I say I'm going to walk from from here to my gate, which is you know my community, which is you know a kilometer away, that's not really much of a challenge because I know I'll achieve that unless I get hit by a car or something, but. You know, that's not much of a challenge. There's not going to be much adversity probably there either. So the bigger the challenge is, the bigger the goal is, the more adversity you can expect on the way. So let's just say your grandiose goal was to win the British Open or to win the World Championships. (laughs) You're going to have a lot of adversity on the way. So so buckle up. (laughs) And and that's why I say that we need to teach athletes to have a different relationship with failure. Mm. Yeah, totally spot
0: on. And just one last thing on, on, on the mindfulness. I'm thinking uh, again, it, it's a hard sell. It's not, it's not that, it's not that sexy is it in regard to like the, 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 the slightly longer term you've got to look at it for athletes, like trying to go, right, you, trust me, you got to do this. You've got to work on it. I'm thinking more in competition. Now when that athlete hits that red mist and they, and they starting to get, get, you know, overthinking and things are getting difficult, what mindfulness interventions do you look to put in place during the competition? Have you, have you spoken about that yet on your podcast? Because by the way, I'm going to listen to those straight after this.
1: Yeah. I mean, look there's the three part series is not just for athletes. It's really just general, general life. But of course there's a few sports analogies there as well, but it's for anybody to listen to it be working in the office or, or whatever it may be. But, um, mantras is always something that's very, very, um, uh as very as part of my my method of working with athletes is what they say to themselves mm-hmm. you know what their thoughts controlling of your thoughts controlling of the words you say to yourself which you know can help um the second thing is obviously breathing of you know it helps with anxiety or nerves or pressures is breathing in between points for example you know so let's just say you get you know in tennis or squash you get 20 seconds between points i'm not too sure what it is in squash but yeah it'll um, so be maybe seven to nine possibly Okay. Um, is, is taking one or two deep breaths, you know, very just controlled deep, deep breaths. And uh, the correct breath is not from your diaphragm, your chest up the t- The correct breathing is from your tummy up from your below your belly button. And you know, the best way to practice that, and I'm going to give you a very simple technique is you lie on your back on the floor with your arms as flat on, on the side. And you, you focus on being very calm at first, close your eyes if if, if you want and focus on taking nice deep breaths, but you're really channeling your thought to your belly button, and you fill the lungs, hold for two seconds, and then release for four seconds. So I call it the the four-two-four. Four. Mm-hmm. So four seconds in, inhaling, holding two seconds, and exhaling two uh, uh, four seconds. Mm-hmm. So very simple. Line your back, close your eyes, relax, get in a get in a very uh, peaceful state of mind, and then start breathing. Inhale. From your from your belly button, visualize it. Four seconds in, hold two seconds, release two uh, uh, four seconds, and you can do that for yeah. as long as you want. Just w- when you're
0: inhaling from your belly button, are you looking for your stomach to go upwards? Yeah, on inhale and then yeah, like because there's so much cool stuff on breathing now, isn't there? there? There's some really great books yeah. out there, and I think it feels like not new territory, but it does feel like it's it's quite it's quite in vogue at the moment, isn't it? You hear a lot of people talking about it and they're doing the the 424 and there's all these different methods. Obviously Wim Hof has kind of made his own side thing there, which is very big on the breathing side of things. So yeah, I I love that idea of breathing. And yes, I I try to get some of my athletes to do it. I just want to go back a second to your mantras. Again, one thing I try practice with it. What should the mantras entail? I, I I'm assuming they're relatively simple, short words, short sentences, so so the athletes not having to overthink too much when you talk about the mantras how do you guide your athletes to come up with them
1: yeah well look it, it you know what i sometimes do is i have a simple exercise of complete the sentence so i'll write i i play my best when i mm-hmm. and i give them a, a, the pen and i say pull out the rest of the sentence it can be three lines four lines and they'll write they'll write down something like i play so for example i play my best when i'm energized um I 'm moving my feet, I am whatever it may be, breathing, whatever it may be. and then I 'll take one or two, usually two key words out of the, that sentence, so it could have be been energized and it could be um, calm. It can be so many different things with different people. You know, when I did this with LSU uh, tennis team, you know the one, the one player needs to be calm and focused. The other one needs to be energized and jumpy. Playing the same sport, but they completely get them. They completely have a different way of how they get themselves in into into it. Yeah. So you have to find what works for you. So I always say, like, what what are two words? So let's just say energized and focused. Then mm-hmm. I get them to write that on the grip of their their racket, for example, and that they see it during the match. You know, when they're when they're looking at their grip or at the changeover, that it reminds them. You know, when you see something, it's a cue that reminds you. It's what I what I refer to the toothbrush theory. Mm. I've always, always ask you, where's your toothbrush? And so well, it's on my sink. Well, I say, why is it not in the cupboard? Like everything else. And then you think about it and go, well, because when you see your toothbrush, you think I need to brush my teeth. Totally. And it's the same thing with, with reminding yourself of whatever you're trying to work on on the court or in your practice is that when, you, when it reminds you, Oh yes, energy. That means I need to move my feet. That needs, need, means uh, I need to to, to keep energized. Right. It reminds you to let me do more of it. So you got to find out what works for you. Like I said, uh, I had same sport but two different athletes, and the one is completely gets into her game being calm, mm-hmm. and the other one needs to get into her game being energized.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's such a cool tactic. I'm going to think of the squash version. I don't think we can put something on the grip, possibly because of the sweatiness of the hands and how yeah. that goes a little bit. Crazy. It could
1: be, you know, it could be like you you make like a little sticker and laminate it on the side of your racket. You know, like you know how you I don't know you have that in squash, but in tennis, when we have a racket strung at a tournament, you'll have a little sticker on on the side of date and uh, the tension of the the strings. So it's always like a little sticker on the inside of the the throat. Yep. I mean, so you could, you could do something like that, or you could even have, you know, your, your wristbands uh, printed, personalized for yourself. Simple. Just go on a Google wristbands, design your own wristband, and maybe it has two words on the wristband.
0: Perfect. Love it.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah,
0: We're going to see a bunch of, a bunch of squash players doing that in the next couple of years, I hope. So that's a great little nugget. Thanks for that. Um, so I've got a, a little interesting, maybe story here or not story, but, but a little thought experiment to do with you. So and and you probably come across this a lot. So say you have this talented youngster, right? They're getting all the results. They're relying on it as it's working. They can just turn up. They get the results, and they 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 basically saying, "Well, why would we change anything? You know, why would we do a mental toughness intervention? Why would we train harder? We we getting the results because we're turning up, but and they're not really willing to put those hard yards in. As we know, this is very short term thinking, isn't it? You know, there's the big world out there, the big pond. How do you start to speak to that type of athlete that just everything comes so natural, everything wins, and they just go, "Well, I'm not going to change anything because I'm winning at the moment." How would you address that?
1: Yeah, well, you're winning now, but it doesn't guarantee what you're going to do do tomorrow. I mean, in fact, a number one athlete in the sport, and I won't mention his name, uh, was you know was sitting at the number one in the in the world, and then got very content and, and didn't feel he needed to change anything because why should I? I'm, I'm number one, but. You know, all of a sudden he started to drop down the rankings, and players found him out and figured out his game and figured out his weaknesses because he didn't uh, he didn't evolve. You know, great teams, great athletes continually evolve. You're never you're never static. You know, I always believe that you're either getting better or you're getting worse. There's no in, there's no in between. I like that. So um, you know, so for an athlete like that, that's that's a little. It sounds a little bit like a fixed mindset. It sounds a little bit like someone that's. Um, you know, very content where they are, they're, they're, they're relying on their talents. They maybe don't have to train as hard as somebody else to get the same result, but it catches up with you. Mm-hmm. And it fosters a very, like I said, a very fixed mindset. Yeah. Um. And, you know, you know, as, as a, you can just basically say to them, listen, you know, if you're happy where you are fine, you know, because at the end of the day, that's your, your journey, that's your, where you want to go. You might not realize your potential if you don't want to evolve, but that's your journey. Mm-hmm. So you know yeah I mean look there's always going to be people that get away with more talent than others they don't have to put in as much work hmm. but um yeah in the in in the in the long term it's going to cost you
0: yeah it is it's such short term thinking isn't it and, you know as you said there maybe I'm thinking Getting some case studies of certain athletes who have been in that situation going, Yes, we were the number one. Look at us now. We it's the classic kind of guy that sits in the bar when he's in his 50s saying, Yes, I'm junior high. I was the top athlete, and you know, yep. saying I would have been world champion and everything. It's, it's almost trying to relay yeah, that. It's, I
1: can't tell you, I can't tell you how many people I come across that said they beat Fedra when he was 15 and <laughs> yeah. and they beat this one in school. And, and so, yeah, and yeah, exactly. I'm still dying out of that. They're still, they're still living on that. That's their, that's their claim to fame. Is they beat they beat someone who made it when they were 12 years old you know yeah.
0: yeah it's a bit of a bit of a bit of a strange way to look at life if they are they sitting in the bar spouting about that eh? but <laughs> hey, as yeah, yeah well- so
1: i saw a very i saw a very funny um i was reading an article on uh gareth southgate the england uh football manager and
2: hmm.
1: and it was pretty funny um he said uh yeah it's time for you know it's time it's time because it's the euro championships now i don't know how many million do you know how many million people are in england or no, in the
0: UK. No, i'd be doing a terrible job if i try to even guess yeah me me
1: mm-hmm. too okay so let's just say it was i don't know i have no clue 20 million okay, <laughs> i could good. be so way up but he said it's time for the 20 million uh couch managers to to run the england team yes i love that that's brilliant, now, brilliant. Because everybody's everybody's an expert that's sitting on the couch you know yeah, or so you know you've experienced this as well as People just coming up to you after a squash game, whatever, that, that have reached no level or not even played, but they're giving you advice on what you should be doing and, and how it went wrong. And Yeah, Tony, I love that. Hey, but
0: the other side of me, when someone says that, I don't know, because I, I always champion growth mindset and stuff. So maybe part of me goes, actually, you know what? I still got to listen to the dude. But hey, whether you take yeah. advice on or not is up no, to no. you. No, don't
1: get me wrong there. It's not like you're not willing to listen to anybody. I will listen to, to people that... I'm very, very protective of of where the where the source is coming from, what you've done. It's not being judgmental. Mm-hmm. It's I will I'll be open to it because some, you know, I've learned, you know, in my previous career where I worked with pro tennis and squash players from the movement point of view and so on. I learned I, I learned a lot from tennis that I put into squash with with, with players like Rami Assure and so on, like movement yep. things, and vice versa. I took from squash and, and, and so I stayed very open-minded there as well. So yeah, it's important to stay open-minded, but, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to think twice about taking advice from my neighbor about how I should hit a forehand, you know, I mean, cause he's never, he's never played sports before. Yeah, no,
0: totally. I totally get that. Um, but yeah, I, I do also like that open-minded cause you just never know that, that, someone just sees things from a slightly different perspective that you, you might be too close to the trees in that sense, or, or, you know, you don't see the wood for the trees, better, better way to say it. And yeah, they might just come at it from a very obscure angle and one little nugget, but it's kind of rare that happens. Um, I'm I'm interested to know the whole concept of overthinking. So athletes overthink all the time and and you might come across as that they put in some hard yards, they're training. Well, they've got their game plan sorted and then it comes to the competition and they end up just crumbling because there's just so much going on there. This might link to zone state. It might link to the mantras you talked about. What, what do you do and how do you enter a conversation with athletes that are always failing because they are thinking so much, almost they're too smart. Sometimes they're, they're so analytical about things. How do you help an athlete with that?
1: Yeah, I, I remember um, I, I was talking to a coach once and he said something very, very, uh, w- which I love because I like simplicity. I like to keep things similar. He said, the more pressure you are or the more you feel, you know, pressure in a match, for example, the more simple you have to keep things. Simple thinking, simple strategy, get back to basics. Nice. And, you know, over, overthinking it is, a way, is a way of doubting. It is doubting. You know, you're questioning yourself. You're questioning your, your your decisions. And, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of those decisions should have already been made in practice, And with your coach or whatever beforehand of, you know, if we're in this scenario, what would you do? If you're in that scenario, what would you do? It's something Michael Phelps did with his coach a lot is they would call what if. Mm -hmm. What if this happens? What if water gets into my goggles? What if um, I have a poor qualifier and I'm in lane eight instead of my usual lane five, you know? And they would visualize these things and they'd go through all these different scenarios that if it happened, they weren't unprepared, you know? So it's prepare, you know, expect the unexpected. So, you know, it's very important to put yourself in these, in these, uh, type of, uh, uh, realms or, or, or mindsets, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like little thought experiments I've, I've, I've heard,
0: I'm, I'm researching the whole concept of negative visualization. It comes from the Samurais where the Samurais would visualize so often about their own death. So when they went into battle, there was no fear of dying. It didn't slow the sword down. It didn't, it didn't get in the way because they would put in all these things about like, here's the worst case scenario. And we've visualized it so many times. Is that roughly along the lines of you saying, or am I going a bit far off? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I think I think it was Phil Mickelson, the golfer, who said, you know, to be a great golfer, you've either got to be incredibly stupid or incredibly smart, but you can't be in between. I love. It's that. because you know, yeah, because when you're, you know, when you're not as as let's just call it smarter, intellectual, then you keep actually actually keep things simple because you don't confuse yourself about certain scenarios. It's actually the more intelligent and academically minded people that, that overthink things completely because they have so many scenarios in their head. So they start to over, excuse me, they start to overthink things. I never had problem overthinking. (laughs) 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 I was never good. I was never good in school. So I never had a problem overthinking. I just go, okay, that's what, that's the direction I'm going to go because it, it, you know, I've, I've, I put together all these experiences I had in my mind and usually the outcomes have been better going this way. So I'm going to go with a, yeah. Or, you know, so, so I wouldn't overthink things in decision-making and some, I wouldn't always get it right, but I would be clear on, this is the direction I'm going. I am, you know, a lot of athletes that I've worked with who are very intellectual, like, you know, a students. some of them going to Harvard, Stanford, they're very, very smart. Those are the ones that tend to overthink a lot Yep. and they're, they're the ones that tend to be perfectionists everything has to be like detail mm-hmm. and those things are good in a way but also can be a, uh be, a, be
0: your biggest uh enemy mm. a couple of things come to mind there on on that the harvard student and i've got a couple of students myself who who are like ridiculously smart you know smashing a levels like two years ahead of their time I think it's obviously our responsibility as a coach to really try and distill that information down into maybe those mentors down into something simple where they can just go, I've only got two or three things I need to focus on really difficult as we both know and how, and how hard, cause they, they just always want the answer. They go, okay, but if I do this, this and this, it's going to solve it. And it's, yeah, it's a hard old task to do it. But the second thing that came to mind, um, Again, I don't think you'll be listening to this, so it doesn't matter about names, but um, I work with a guy who was involved with Chelsea football club. And and when Victor Moses was up, up and down the wing, like the, the, the winger um, they basically said like, you know what? They changed his position. He used to be a bit of a striker or like a bit of a playmaker and, they just put him on the wing and they just said, right, Victor, you see that corner. We're going to throw the ball into the corner. You run, you get there and swing your right foot at it. And one season, he won play of the season. And it was when Chelsea won the Premier League maybe seven, eight years ago. And they said, as soon as he had time on the ball, he was terrible. There was so much overthinking. And actually, when as soon as they starved him of time, purposely going, you've got this task, run there, hoof it in. It was unbelievable. Like the play making he did and the passes he did was quite funny. So it's maybe some trying to, if an athlete does that naturally, great, you are it. But if not, yeah, a, very
1: a very well-trained athlete uh, can make decisions uh, like in, in that, that moment. But you guys know as well, and I know there'll be a lot of squash players listening to this, is that, you know, you have that term hold, you know, when you hold. Yeah. Um, please excuse me if I'm not getting the, the, the right. term 100%. But, you know, where you're able to just wait to that last moment to see where your opponent's going to go. And you have that time. And those are times when you can overthink. Mm-hmm. Where, because now you have options. Yeah. Now you have options. It's almost like a freeze in time, but you, know, you only maybe have less than a second to think, but, but you're able to extend that second of like holding it until the last moment, until you know where you're going to go. Those are the times that you can overthink. You're just, you can go, you know, you're going to go, uh, you know, to the whatever, to the left side or to the right side you can make. It's, it's also like in Formula One, for example, is, um, is that the best drivers are able to freeze time more. They're able to, you know, the milliseconds they're able to to extend. It's a very, you know, talking about flow state and stuff like that. That's a sport where those guys are in that mindset of type of like in a tunnel. You know, if you ever see that amazing lap by Ayrton Senna uh, from Monaco, where, you know, he's doing, you know, a qualifying lap and the onboard camera just shows that he has absolutely no time to think about the corners. Mm-hmm they're coming they're basically coming in, in 300th of a second each corner in monaco because it's a street circuit so it's corners and so on and it, and there's no margin of error for there you 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 mess up you hit the wall there is no runoff area where you can you know make a mistake and so on that's why monaco is one of the toughest is the toughest track in the world because you make one mistake you're done your 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 car is destroyed that, that makes it the qualifying even more important
0: because there's no overtaking hardly in that race i believe because it's so yeah. tight so someone like Ayrton, yeah. i think it was in that documentary wasn't it where you have to be so amazing at that moment because if you are third place you're not really going to get above third place when you start so that that's kind well, of what when you when you, about,
1: when you talk about when you talk about flow in the zone i i, I or, or somebody talks about i always think of that that lap that Ayrton senna did if you go to google Put mm-hmm. an Ayrton Center Monaco qualifying lap
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: you'll see what i'm talking about It's crazy the speed at at the corners, wow. but what wow. he said in that documentary as well that you were talking about there is that um everything was coming coming at him in slow time okay so it it was almost like he said where things were were just were just slow you know he was able to maneuver it, but if you look at the speed on camera it's you don't even have time to 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 think yeah. at all so yeah. yeah, that's a good example, by the way, for, for flow state.
0: I'm, I'm going to get look at that little YouTube one, have it, have, have it as a little URL and send it to my players. Um, just on the squash one where you give people time, you see it a lot more in the modern game now. Say it plays under massive pressure, rather than them trying to like whip a boast round and actually play a good shot. What they do is they just pop it up really high on the front wall give the opponent time so the ball has to like take an age to deflate the opponent now gets back to the tee close to the opponent and you see the guy about to hit the ball have like 10 different decisions and most often chooses the wrong one and the rally's back on even terms it's really interesting when you see that obviously tennis has a similar example isn't it when someone's really at the stretch and they just pop it as high as they can give the other person a lot of thinking time it really really kind of screws the circuit board a bit doesn't it yep exactly 100% that's a good example mm. Okay. So like last time, um, so I've got a few questions from some of the, uh, some of the players, which they loved. And again, they're probably going to be gutted that I'm, I'm going to use their names, but Hey, we're going to dive in. So there's three questions I've got, if that's okay. Um, Bertie yeah. and AJ, they ask, and they asked the same question, actually unprompted. Um, they said, what mental warm up do you recommend to be in the optimal state to perform? So, so they struggling a little bit, like, you know, they do their physical warm up, but they may be not tuned in mentally. Any ideas on that?
1: Yeah, I call it uh, preparedness. And it's, it's especially the hour before you play is um, you should have a routine set out of what you're doing in that hour. So an hour before you could be, um, you know, having a snack. 50 minutes before you could be having, you know, uh, changing your, your clothes. 30 minutes before you could be changing your grips, whatever, checking your equipment. Then you start your warm-up. Maybe five minutes before you go on court, you're, you're doing some – visualization or meditation or listening to music you you have to find what works for you mm-hmm. again it's it's completely different to looking at people's preparedness which which i call that time just before you you play some players want to listen to music and move around some players just want to sit in a corner and just in in peace they don't want to be around anybody you know it's something i spoke to to nick matthew about on on the champion minded podcast as well about um, i you know i was always very very interested in watching players before they went on court or or, or track or whatever i always like to get to events early to watch warm ups to see what what they do not not necessarily the exercises but what like their how they prepare themselves and you know nick talks about this as well of of you know he had quite an extended warm up before he had play and then he had you know do some mental exercises for example of you know visualizing him on the himself in the court being good energy fast looking confident those are some of the strategies he'd he'd go through before he'd play for example so yeah you've got to find what works for you but it is very very important to have what i call a prepper readiness routine you know what you're doing an hour before yeah you go on court for example
0: Mm, i like that i think i think a lot of people maybe just tune in five minutes before and they're like right oh here we go we're five minutes away let's do our little warm-up mentally we visualize but actually i like your your
1: hour buffer zone which is great and yeah i mean look it, it works definitely for everyone you know if i look at nick Kyrgios, the tennis player you know i've been in 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 the same locker room or area of him before he goes on to play and you know there he is in cincinnati the tournament he won actually last year or the year before um Playing ping pong with with kids, you know, like like kids of of you know kids of other players and so on, and then uh, they're calling him Kyrgios, uh Kyrgios against um, you know Tsitsipas, court court two, and wow. there he is. And I just want to finish the game here quick, and he grabs like a, he grabs like a, a, a you know a, a Snickers or something on the way out. Amazing. That's his preparation to get onto the court. Yeah. So so what I'm saying is. What, what, what probably doesn't work for him is telling him to go sit on the couch and, and meditate and be, and, and get in the zone because it probably won't work for him mm. as we for other people. It's completely different. Yeah.
0: Obviously he needs a level of playfulness by the sounds of it. He, his, his energy comes from the playfulness rather than the seriousness. Well, yeah, he,
1: he does. And, and, you know, he's energizing himself. He's taking his mind off it. So maybe he doesn't want really to sit and think about in the match before it. Mm. So he's doing, he's keeping, he's distracting himself before he goes onto the court. Nice. So you know, I'll be honest with you. If someone said to me, "I'm a nervous wreck before I go on to play every time," I'd say, "Do something that distracts you." Okay, I like that. Do something that distracts you. Play a game, or you know, whatever it might be. Just do something. You know, if you want to chat with friends or or watch something on your, you know, do that rather. You know, if that's what distracts you and and keeps you from thinking about your match, then do that. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna suggest that because I think.
0: I put in interventions going, okay, yeah, I'll try this, do this, maybe do some breathing techniques, do some meditation. And actually you probably hit the nail on the head, Kyrgios style, do, do something that just distracts you, which yeah, really, really cool little tip there. Um, so Laura's back and Laura says, um, what do you think are some of the ways that consistency can be maintained in discipline to train and continue habits?
1: Um, yeah, discipline comes down to your level of self-discipline. So it's really you know just being focused on on the goals that you've set for yourself and being disciplined to keeping those goals and those goals can be mini goals throughout the day mm-hmm. of you know your eating and what time you have a nap and what time you get to practice how you warm up you know it's it's all the little details that 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 make a great player you know getting all the small little things right on a daily basis i always say there's no better feeling than putting your head on the pillow at night and knowing you did everything you could today mm-hmm. You know, you ticked all the boxes, you got to practice early, you warmed up well, you ate well, you hydrated well, you did your foam rolling, you did your stretching, so on and so forth. And you put your head on the pillow and you go, that was a good day. I, yeah. I completed what I need to. So yeah, it's it's, it's c- consistency comes down to self-discipline. You're, you know, you've got to discipline yourself to do all these things. And then over, t- over time, keep doing them. Mm. I have this saying, you know, the average do it sometimes the good do it most of the time, the great do it all of the time. And that's the difference of, if you're looking at the difference between average to good and good to great, it's consistency in, in your daily habits. Mm. No, so powerful. I, I, you say that in your book,
0: and, and it's one of the uh, big highlights of part of my book. And I think even Laura herself spoke about that at one point. I think maybe where she's struggling, I, I think she's 15 or 16, It's it's maybe not quite seeing the... The outcome yet of her processes and, and that's that's maybe where to keep that level of consistency or even the motivation to keep doing it um look we can sit here as slightly older people with a bit of time on our hands and go hey listen trust me it will take time but
1: that's sometimes a hard sell isn't it to because to, if the yeah. outcomes aren't quite there yeah and i know i'm using a lot of tennis examples but you know i just look at this girl anastasia pavichinkova who's reached the roland garros finals which is Um, but probably by the time this, this podcast is out or this episode is out, they've already played it because it's tomorrow in France. Um, she won junior French open at 16. She's now 20. She's now 30 years old. And she's had to basically wait 52 grand slams and 14 years to get to another final. Amazing on the on the senior side. Well, you know, some people never never achieve that, so hats off to that. But that that tells you about persistence. That tells you about um, consistency. And I know her from the tour because I've worked with some player Russian players. Is that she's been like just every single day since she's a junior, just grinding, grinding, pushing, and you know she's getting her reward tomorrow by playing in the final. Brilliant. Well, that, fourteen that,
0: that, years later. That's, yeah, what a great story and, and definitely one to use in the future for, yeah, for those athletes struggling to 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 understand the process versus outcome. And, you know, it, it, it summarizes it great and, you know, master the art of showing up. Sounds like she's mastered that art. She's shown up, she's shown up, she's shown up and her rewards are there. So, yeah, great little bit of nuggets. Um, and final question from one of the players, Oliver asks, what's the best way in managing work-school stress with mindfulness. So really kind of cool timing for this as well, like unprompted as well. Um, didn't even know you guys were doing a mindfulness bit on your podcast. Yeah, so so best way to manage work-school stress with mindfulness?
1: Yeah, time management.
0: Okay. Um,
1: putting aside proper time for your studies, proper time for eating, proper time for practice, uh, et cetera. That's going to help you, you know, create a little bit more stability and so on. So you know, if you're rushing everywhere and you're over, over, um, overdoing your daily schedule, you're putting too many things on there. You know, for example, you might have to sometimes buy some time from your practice to put in more into your studies, for example. So really that all comes down to um, time management, how you're managing your time, and then just being present. You know, if you're going to be studying, be studying. Don't have your phone next to you. Don't have distractions. Be in a quiet place. Um, you know, for me, I couldn't focus properly for more than half an hour. I know that sounds funny. I'd have to get up, go out. I still do that now today when I'm working on something or, or working on a presentation or writing. i write for about half an hour. I get up, I go downstairs. I might make a cup of tea. I might go outside just for a bit of fresh air and then come back in again and then refocus again. Yeah. Uh, I, I would lose, start to lose focus after half an hour. You know, I'd start to be thinking, okay, you know, did I get messages or, you know, what am I missing? So yeah, be, be present 100%. In fact, it's very, very interesting that the Finnish uh, schooling system is one of the highest education systems. It is the highest education system in the world. Mm-hmm. And they have a very interesting concept is that their, their classes are shorter than normal classes. They're 40 minutes. They're not an hour or an hour and a half. It's so that they can get the most out of their attention and they can really have focused attention for 40 minutes before they take a recess. So very, very interesting is that it's like, how long can you focus for before you need to take, take a break? So be, I'd, I'd rather say this in, in coaching point of view is I'd rather have a fully focused athlete for 45 minutes than someone that's just drifting and, and just cruising for an hour and a half. You know, I'd rather get quality for 45 minutes from somebody.
0: Yeah, no, it, well, links to purpose as well, like, like getting that purpose and that laser focus, but you're yeah, on the finished schooling system. It's, it's fascinating what they do. I think it's most of Scandinavia, those shorter lessons. Um, I don't think they get homework until they like something like 12 to 15 years old they, and they hardly even do homework. And I think a lot of their learning is in forest school. So they go out and they learn in nature a lot, or they just, they experience the outdoors a lot, even though it's snowy and cold and dark. And yeah, it's it's the highest um, education rates is not the right word, but yes. performance rates. I think performance yes. rates when they look at it, it's, it's phenomenal. It's really cool, and hopefully more more people pay attention to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, education system here in America, <sighs> brutal. It needs to be needs to be improved. Drastically. I think we're only sixteenth or eighteenth in the world or something. I don't even know if it's that high to be honest. But you know, I I I, I also believe in just that intense type of learning and then take a break, intense type of learning and then take a break. Yeah. And actually,
0: like you I know you said you're not sciencey, but there's a there's a great podcast from a guy called Andrew Huberman, is all he's a neuroscientist at Stanford, and, and a couple of his episodes are all on those learning bouts. He says learning bouts and then what he calls non-sleep deep rest. So for your example, 30 minute learning bout and then a bit of a non-sleep deep rest where you're making your tea going outside. And and the absorption of the learning is so much more powerful than just trying to churn for an hour and then you know being like burning yourself out. So they yeah. are, he's basically saying the chemicals in the brain. I won't get too complicated here, but basically the the absorption from the conscious to the subconscious is much more powerful in that sense. So yeah, it kind of sounds like you're doing it already. And great advice for Oliver there. Um, but listen, we're getting close to an hour, so maybe that's a little sign that 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 we're at that point. But I've got one final question in closing. Um, but listen, I know it's a multitude of things. This and it's over a period of time, but in your opinion, what would be your one top tip or your non-negotiable for improving mental toughness that all athletes should try and have in their toolbox? I'm going
1: to surprise you here. Compassion. I love it. Yeah, because we, we can, we can sometimes be too hard on ourselves and compare ourselves to others or why they're getting better quicker than we are and so on. So compassion, especially you need compassion when you're competing. You need to be very compassionate with yourself and, and not, not beat yourself up about things and mistakes and so on and so forth. So compassion definitely helps with, with your ability to think clearer, to be in the moment, you know, where you're just being good to yourself. So, so to say, because there's no, you've already got an opponent on the court. You don't need to beat yourself up. Mm-hmm. You've already got someone that's wanting, wanting to do it for you. So, you know, just be, I would say mental, I would say, especially that, we we talk about mental illness and health and so on and so forth. I would say definitely compassion is, is a big one. A lot of, especially a lot of top athletes are very, very tough on themselves and it it starts to, it starts to impede their performance. Perfectionism Mm -hmm. impede
0: your performance. Yeah, totally. Listen, I think that that's an amazing way to end it, but I'm just curious, like you've chosen the word compassion and I resonate with it massively. Would you have answered the same
1: thing 10 years ago out of interest? (laughs) Why not? No, 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 absolutely not. I mean, I would probably have said, you know, work harder or you yeah. know, whatever. And of course all those things are important to become elite in any, any sport or any activity, but no, definitely not. Um, Interesting. I think I think, I, I think exactly. really I really just finding the importance of being good to yourself more is is mm. is a massive, massive quality that will help you. Mm. Yeah, you know, in all areas.
0: About, um, I think you even speaking to the 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 lady on the gate in your in your you know community and actually just being being outwardly good and being outwardly kind. You mentioned that and it did resonate with me. And actually, I think a few of my students picked up on that point itself and have reported back to me and going, actually, that was a real good nugget. So, listen, Alice, I think you rounded it off beautifully with that word compassion as as your one top tip or non-negotiable for improving mental toughness. So, a massive huge thank you, man. This has been again a, an absolute treat for me. I'm glad we could have a follow up one. And um, yeah my players are going to hopefully love dissecting this and and feeding back as we go along.
1: No, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me back. And I wish all all the players who are watching this right now, the the best of luck. And please be mindful when you walk into your training facility, say hello to the receptionist, say hello to the janitor, thank them. uh, People around, you know, that that do a lot of things for you. You might not even realize that they are able to, you know, make that facility or make that, that training area possible for you. So please be mindful of those people that are behind the scenes, so to say the receptionists, the, uh, the cleaners, etc. say thanks, say hello. And, and of course to your coaches and so on and so forth. So best of luck and hope one day to see you in person as well.
0: Absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Alistair. Thanks, Jesse. Presence. Process. Persistence the essence of squash mind.